The food was laid out, with Mrs. Fosdyke darting hither and thither, putting little finishing touches, and then the Bagthorpes stood back to watch the photograph being taken. The sun came out, right on cue. "'I should take more than one, dear,' Mrs. Fosdyke said, nervously patting her curls, "'just in case it don't come out. You never know with cameras.' "'I'll take three, Rosie told her, "'one at each end of the table and one in the middle, "'and then we'll get everything in.' Mrs. Fosdyke was so enchanted by this news that when she posed, she actually did look happy, something she hardly ever allowed herself to do. For one of the photographs, she picked up a plate of her meringues and held it, looking for all the world like a proud mother at a christening. After the photographs, all the Bagthorpes clapped, and Mrs. Fosdyke must have been really touched because she actually dabbed at her eyes with a paper napkin. Only Mr. Bagthorpe seemed discontented. Mrs. Fosdyke was having a gala performance, and he was blocked. Two large white cloths were then spread over the food to protect it while the games were going on. They did not get off to a very good start, because so many people were opting out. Grandma elected to sit on a chair facing the wood, keeping a sharp lookout for the imminent second coming of Thomas. Mr. Bagthorpe said that his head and arm were aching, and flung himself full length on the ground in a Greek pose, looking mean and moody. Grandpa made a valiant attempt, but obviously could not hear half the instructions that were bawled at him. A portable wireless had been brought out for musical chairs, and Grandpa just seemed to be sitting when the fancy took him, regardless of whether or not the music had stopped. He won. <laughs> Nevertheless, those who were participating in the games became increasingly excited and giggly, and no one took any notice of Mr. Bagthorpe, who kept looking at his watch, and then at the covered table. "'Would it be very antisocial?' he said at last. "'As I am precluded by my injury from taking part in the merriment, "'if I went and fetched a book, "'it is not in my nature to sit idling around, "'and I could be doing some serious reading.' "'No one objected, and off he went. "'The games continued, reaching a climax with Blind Man's Buff, "'in which William put his foot down a rabbit hole, "'and was so put out at looking silly in front of Atlanta "'that his unfeeling relatives were reduced to near hysteria.' Mrs. Fosdyke had joined in one or two of the quieter games, but now kept taking quick peeks under the cloth to see how her food was bearing up. "'I do think, Mrs. Bagthorpe,' she said eventually, "'that tea should be served if we don't wish icing melted and such.' "'Of course!' Mrs. Bagthorpe clapped her hands. Everyone ran to the table and sat down, and the covers were taken off. The meal was a triumph. In no way had aesthetic considerations been allowed to interfere with the gastronomic aspect of the food, as had been feared in some quarters. Mrs. Fosdyke was showered with crumb-choked compliments. She herself sat down with them at Rosie's right hand, and really seemed, just for the moment, a member of the family. Everyone, even Grandma and Tess, seemed to have forgotten entirely the giant bubble and the great brown bear. Uncle Parker seemed relaxed and flippant, and did not catch Jack's eye once, even though he was sitting diagonally opposite. He can't have forgotten, Jack thought. It was his idea in the first place. If he had forgotten, it seemed to Jack that he might have to leave home, taking Zero with him. The time for pulling the crackers came, and still nothing had manifested. There's a couple spare, exclaimed Uncle Parker, holding them up. They all had two crackers each to make up for the disaster at Grandma's party, 
and to provide, of course, double the number of mottoes. <clears throat> Henry, cried Mrs. Bagthorpe, he hasn't come back. None of the Bagthorpes had noticed his absence up to this point, surprisingly, really, because his presence was the kind of thing that was usually felt and correspondingly missed. <clears throat> he went to fetch a book, she said. I expect he became engrossed in it. Poor Henry. We may as well pull his crackers for him, suggested Uncle Parker. He might not want to pull them left-handed. No, said Rosie, with unexpected firmness. Leave them alone. They're his. Uncle Parker obediently replaced them by the empty plate. There were shrieks and bangs for quite a long time then, and right in the middle of it all Jack felt a sharp kick on his ankle. Ouch! he exclaimed. What? Uncle Parker, opposite, frowned warningly, then jerked his head. Jack followed the direction of his gaze. Crikey, he said, though nobody heard him, being so involved with crackers and all reading mottoes at the tops of their voices. Floating gracefully just above the tips of the trees was a huge red-and-white striped air balloon. It came serenely and silently in the blue, a world apart, it seemed, from the noisy earthbound Bagthorpes. Jack gaped. He could see the flames of the gas, and above the edge of the basket, not one, but two great brown bears. Still he stared. <clears throat> there was a piercing scream. Look! screeched Tess. Look at Jack! He's seeing something! Nonsense, darling! Mrs. Bagthorpe started to say, and then her voice trailed off. She, too, was staring, and all the party turned their heads in the direction of her gaze, with the exception of Grandpa, who was blissfully putting away what it seemed could very well be his last ever stuffed egg. In the hush that followed, all that could be heard was the hissing of the gas as the giant bubble approached. Uncle Parker rose to his feet. "'Jack,' he said solemnly, "'I take my hat off to you.' "'Oh, Mummy!' whimpered Rosie, and ran from her chair. "'Look, there's two enormous bears!' "'Now, darling,' Mrs. Bagthorpe's voice trembled ever so slightly, "'keep calm. I think they may be friendly. Look, yes, they're waving.' "'They're definitely not Thomas.' Grandma sounded sad, and suddenly old. She was not scared, just really disappointed. "'Oh, Thomas!' The bears were not only waving, but scattering what looked like visiting cards over the far side of the meadow as they left the wood behind. The Bagthorpes sat mesmerized. Slowly the balloon drifted towards them. It seemed to be losing height. "'If they land,' quavered Tess, "'I shall just shut my eyes and hope to die. I can't bear it.' "'So dangerous. Not really,' murmured Aunt Celia, who, oddly, seemed not nearly so distraught as might have been expected. Only Jack noted this, however. The others were all too busy being distraught themselves. Atlanta was jabbering away excitedly in Danish and pointing to the balloon and then at herself. She seemed to be trying to tell them that it was for that it was herself it was coming for. Look, said William to Jack, can you tell them to go away? Jack stood up. I might, he said, not really knowing. You can speak to Anonymous from Grimsby any time you want to. Thanks. Jack was not really listening. He now had the impression that something was wrong in the giant bubble. 
The great brown bears had stopped dropping visiting cards and were scuffling about inside the basket and shouting in what sounded suspiciously like human voices. The balloon was losing height. It looked rather as though it was going to land right in the middle of the table. "'If they land,' William said, "'I shall go up this tree and take Atlanta with me.' "'Bears can climb trees,' Tess quavered. "'I'm glad those photos got took anyway,' came Mrs. Fosdyke's small voice. The basket was now rocking, and bags were being thrown out of it. The hissing of the gas seemed fainter, though the balloon was up close now, a bear hundred yards away. At this point Uncle Parker cupped his hands and bawled, "'Keep up! Keep up! What's the matter with you?' Another couple of bags fell with a thud. The great brown bears were so close now that you could see the whites of their eyes almost. They looked very worried bears, so far as Jack could judge. 